0: gifts are awesome, aren't they? Like presents, you know, aren't they, aren't they fun? You know, even just like giving a gift, like when you know you've got something special for somebody and you're excited to give it to them and then, you know, for them to see it, and I'm like, oh, look at what I got, you know? Or even when you're with someone and you didn't even give them the gift and you're not the one getting the gift, but still, like, there's some excitement to, like, when they go and, you know, they start pulling the tape back and, you know, start opening it up. Like, it's just something fun. And of course... You know, when you get a gift, it's, it's always especially exciting to open it up and, and see what it is. You know, it's interesting, though, when, when you get a gift, like, there's kind of, it's kind of two levels in enjoying what you got. Like, there's that initial, like, look at what I now have, right? And you receive this, and, it, and it's, it's awesome. Like, you now have this gift. But there's kind of, like, there's, there's like a next step in really really enjoying it and really taking hold of it. Like, there's just that simple, like... I now have this, but then there 's that step of going and like making use of it, like taking hold of it, right like if you get a new toy, you know like when you 're a kid or even as an adult right you get something new, what do you want to do right away? You want to use it, you know you want to take it and put it to use it 's like even it 's like it 's almost like a necessary component of receiving a gift, not that you do that to get it. I mean the gift is yours, you already own it, but there 's something about. Receiving a gift where you're meant to use it. That's part of why, when I was a kid, whenever we'd go and, like, say, if my aunt got me a shirt, you know, and then we went to visit my family, what did my mom tell me to do? Make sure you wear that shirt your aunt got you, right? Because you got to show that you're using the gift, you know, that, that you got. That's what, it's, that's what it's meant for. It's not meant to just receive and then you set it aside. Like, you're meant to use it and, and to wear it to put it to use and to enjoy it. Now, why do we bring that up? Why do we have a, a gift box up here uh, this morning? Because a couple of weeks ago we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that Good Friday, He had conquered sin and death, everything that makes this world broken. He took it on Himself Everything that, was, that, was, that is sinful and broken about us, it, it was there with him, connected with him, died there with him. That's not who we are anymore. He rose to give us new life. He rose to set us right with God. He rose to let us know that someday we're going to open our eyes up in paradise we're going to see Jesus. He rose to let us know that someday when this world, as we know it, comes to an end, we're going to be with him at the resurrection. He rose to give us a new life, the greatest gift And as any gift, as it goes with any gift, there is that simple receiving it, that that beautiful, look at what I have. But there's also then, it's meant to be enjoyed, for you to take hold of what you receive. And it's the same thing with the gift God gave us. He's given us a new life for the intent that we would then take hold of it and enjoy it and, and, and celebrate it. And this new series we started last weekend is that. It, it, it's that taking hold of what we've been given and really living in it and, and celebrating it. We started last weekend a series that is unlike any that we've, that we've done at Abiding Ship in the past in that it goes from last Sunday, so the second Sunday in Easter, all the way through the rest of the church year, which then takes us to the end of November. So this is a, a, a journey of a study but we're doing this, this, this journey. We're going to dig in step by step. Partly because it is so important to all of us. This is a study on celebrating the gift. Living in the reality of the gift. Living in the reality of what we've been given. But it's also significant because it's not just enjoying the gift. But enjoying the gift is something we often struggle to do. You know, it's hard for us on a day-to-day basis to really celebrate what we've been given because while we're in this world, we, we, we also have this sinful nature that fights against us and battles with us, so it, it's hard for us to, 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 to open this up. Sometimes we just do kind of leave it over there, and so it's, it's important for us to spend some time really digging and in step-by-step into to this gift and how we use it. And that's why we're going into this, this in-depth study on the topic of sanctification. That's what sanctification really is is, is, is celebrating what we've been given, living in the reality of what we've been given in Christ. Now, as we're in the second step of this journey, this journey where we are just kind of taking bit by bit, peeling back layer by layer into this topic, we're at the point now where we're still really trying to clarify for ourselves like what, what sanctification is, like what it's about, what it, what it means. And so today, as we're thinking about sanctification and thinking about this topic, we need to talk about not just sanctification, but where it all starts, which is justification. These two things are connected, but but different. And our study today is going to help us think about these things so we can begin to further clarify in our minds what they are. Justification is being declared right with God. Because Jesus took your sin and mine, all the justice that it deserves, and he he died on the cross there to pay for it. Because he rose again to give us new life, God says, I declare that you are right with me. And that process is complete. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Jesus rose, it's done. Through faith in Christ, we are right with God. Justification is a complete process. There's not a single thing you or I need to do to justify ourselves before God. We are declared right with him. It is done. Sanctification flows out of justification, and sanctification is how being right with God gives you a new life. Like How do you now, how you now live differently as a result of being declared right with God? How do you experience life in a whole new way because you are justified. Because you are declared right. And that's an ongoing process. That's what we learn about each day and we, 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 we grow in as we go through our Christian faith. And, and, and that's why we're studying it so much right here. Because this is this ongoing growth process that flows out of justification. Today to help us take this next step in our journey to think about really taking hold of the gift We're going to look at these these two things, justification, sanctification, what it means for our lives, what it means for enjoying the gift. And so today we're going to to ask, what did you get? Our lesson today, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now these words are part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus would have been then located in what's now modern day Turkey. It was an impressive city in Paul's day. It was the home of the great temple to the false goddess Artemis or or Diana. It was one of the, the, the wonders of the ancient world where people would come from all over to come and see this city. But that also means that it was a very challenging city for the church to grow up and for the church to develop there because this city was known for the worship of false gods. People came for that reason to this city. The industry was tied directly to the worship of a false god. That's why there was some, some conflict there with some of the other people there, because the more people worship the true god, the less people worship the false god, the less people bought the idols. So you can see the conflict and the challenge and some of the struggle that was there. They also then were confronted on a day to day basis with what it looked like for people to live a lie to live lives dedicated to to false gods and false ways as opposed to living in reality of the true god. And so Paul writes this letter here to really encourage them and motivate them and it is a powerful powerful letter. I love all the Bible but I really love the book of Ephesians. Every time I read this letter, it's just it's such an incredible reminder for me of just what's really going on in the world and and, and how we can kind of take a a second-level look to see what's really going on and what God is doing and and, and how we're a part of it. See, the letter to the Ephesians is rooted in the big-picture story of, of Scripture, of the gospel, of the world, that God created this world to be a place where he and us were to dwell together, live together, partner together. He created people with a specific vocation, the honor of being in His likeness, and His image. The design was that we would move throughout the world and rule the world in His image with Him, be walking pictures of Him. The way we interact with each other, the way we take care of the world, this is part of where that Celebrate Earth Saturday comes in, stewarding God's world, right? The way we were to do it was to be in a reflection of Him. And then, as we enjoy His creation then we would praise him for it, and then we reflect again on his goodness and his grace. It was this beautiful design. Be a walking picture of God into the world, enjoy his world, and praise him for it. This beautiful partnership. People turned away from God, broke that partnership, and that's, that's why this world is the sinful, broken place that it is. But the gospel is that, that God God has done something about it. This world became a place where, where people served other gods than the true God where people turn away from God and and as Paul refers in Ephesians, he describes it as the the, the kingdom of the air. It's the place of the ruler, the kingdom of air. But God took on this kingdom. God defeated the kingdom of darkness in this world and he did it through Jesus. Jesus took all the sin, all the brokenness of this world on himself, on the cross, broke it there and rose again to show he had won the victory. The message of Ephesians is that God is reconciling all things to himself, that he is fixing this issue, that he is reuniting us with him, and he's going to set all things right. And part of the beautiful message of Ephesians is that now the victory is won through Jesus, but the advancement of the kingdom takes place through us. That God does this, he advances this through his people, and that's what we get to be a part of. Which is really just amazing at so many levels, partly because, like in the verses we read leading up to our sermon lesson in chapter 2, to think that God advances the kingdom through us when Paul says that we were dead. Our natural state as people is, is that we are not alive but dead, which maybe seems super weird to consider. But think about it this way. Um, you know, we all, we, we, we have our, our handy cell phones, right? And, um, but do you ever have your battery go dead? Mine did this morning, actually. I didn't plug it into the charger right last night, and um, it died overnight, which is really a bummer when your alarm is on your cell phone. <laughs> woke up a little bit late this morning, but I'm here. Everyone here, I'm on, I was here, mom time, everything's good, so thank you, Ruthie, for waking me up. Um, <laughs> you know, you can have your phone, and when the battery's dead, it's still there, you can see it, but it doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't do what it's supposed to, Right? Or maybe I think of, maybe another way of thinking about it, actually, it wasn't this last fall, but the fall before, it was on my birthday, uh, my case wasn't working right on my phone, so I had taken it off, dumb choice. And uh, I went to walk the dog, and uh, I was getting a birthday text, right, because people are, you know, sending me a nice, at least I think it was a birthday text, I don't know for sure, because when I took it out of my pocket, it flew out of my hand, directly onto the sidewalk, and the screen cracked across and my phone kept dinging because I was getting some messages, I still to this day don't know what they were. Right? Because it was cracked across, I couldn't see any of it. My phone was broken in a way where even though it was still there, and it would even light up, it couldn't do what it was intended to do. It couldn't function, it couldn't serve any of its intended purpose because it was broken in such a way that I couldn't see a thing on it. This This is what our natural state of death is like. We're here, we're breathing, But we're broken by sin in such a way that we don't fulfill our original intent and design. We we, we don't have that natural relationship with God, naturally have a relationship with God. We don't don't glorify him the way we were meant to. We we are broken in such a way that we are dead. And if we were left by ourselves, we would be dead forever. But the message of the gospel, and what Paul talks about here in chapter 2, is that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Jesus took all of our brokenness on himself on the cross, died, and then he rose again. So now we are alive with him. We have this life, this relationship restored. We now can really live and begin to be who we were meant to be. Function, not with a cracked screen, not with a dead battery, but people who can really, really live. And in verse 6, God raises up with, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Man, that message, that verse is worth digging into we just don't have the time today just to think what it means that you are seated with christ in the heavenly realms is mind-blowing it's amazing but again we'll take we'll talk about that another time but for today to recognize that you and i were dead but now we are alive and it's in this context of talking about how god brought us from death to life that we get to this question today what did you get And where we come across our lesson, where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Can you get many more beautiful words than this verse? Grace, you have been saved, you have been rescued through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And that word grace in and of itself is just a beautiful word. And if you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard that that simple, beautiful explanation of the word. What is it? It is God's undeserved love for us, right? We don't deserve anything, yet he loves us. But man, this word is worth going beyond even that simple explanation and leaning into, because it is beautiful, just how God views us and the gift God has given us.
1: If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently describe God's character in this way, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at the second key word in this statement, gracious. The Hebrew word is chanun, which is related to the Hebrew noun chen. This word chen is often translated as grace or favor. And if you study how this word is used throughout the Bible, find a fascinating story. One meaning of chen is delightful or favorable. In the Psalms, a skilled poet is said to have lips of chen. That is, he can craft beautiful words that bring delight. Or a dazzling piece of jewelry is an ornament of chen. It attracts attention and favor. This is why chen is often the word used to describe a gift given with delight or favor. In these cases, chen could be translated as grace. Like in the story of Esther, who approaches the king of Persia to ask that she and her people be spared from death. She calls this a request for chen. And because the king delights in Esther, he favors her and grants her wish. So giving a gift of favor is chen, because it's motivated by delight. And the most extreme kind of chen is showing favor to someone who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. Like Jacob, who cheated his brother Esau, ran away, and then after 20 years wants to come back and make things right. So he comes to Esau asking, may I find chen in your eyes? Jacob isn't asking for what is fair, but for favor. And surprisingly, that's what Esau gives him. He chooses to delight in his brother Jacob and show him grace that he doesn't deserve. Now, chen requires a generous spirit, which people sometimes have. But in the Bible, the one who shows more chen than anyone else is God. Like when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they quickly betray him by giving their allegiance to a golden idol as their God. But then, Moses steps in and asks God to consider giving a gift that they don't deserve. And God says, yes, by showing the ultimate act of chen, forgiveness and a promise to be with these people. This character trait of God is so reliable that over 40 times in the book of Psalms, people cry out for God's chen when they're sick or in danger or when the Israelites are in exile. And the biblical prophets like Isaiah looked back to God's chen in the past and boldly declared that God will one day show chen to his people by delivering them and all creation from death and ruin. Now, when we turn to the authors of the New Testament, They describe God's chen with the Greek word charis, which means gracious gift. Like when we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis become human, sent into a world of people trapped in darkness and death. Because according to the Apostle Paul, we're like the living dead. God has handed humanity over to the destructive consequences of our selfish decisions. But, Paul says, God is rich in mercy, and by his charis, he's rescued us. He's talking about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are offered to us as a generous gift of life that is more powerful than death. And as with any gift, all one has to do is receive it. So, now you can see why the biblical authors talk so much about this description of God's character throughout the Bible. When people are willing to own their failures and ask God for chen, He has a consistent and generous response. God gives the gift of himself, his life, and his love. And this is what it means that God is gracious.
0: A gift of delight. Isn't that something, I mean... It's a gift motivated by God delighting in, in us. It's his delight, his pleasure to give us the gift, to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us. It, it's, it's not motivated by, by us or anything we do whatsoever. It's complete outpouring of God's character, which amazingly includes the fact that he delights in us so much that he would give us the gift. I mean, And and it's so based on him, too. I just want to offer one clarification, and the video didn't say anything wrong, but I just want to clarify it because uh, it's hard for us even to to hear this phrase without starting to think it depends on us. The, 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 The video said, you know, all one has to do is receive it. Well, as a clarification, how do we receive it? We receive it through faith. Who even gives us faith? Well, God does. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12.3 says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So even the way that we receive it, faith, is a gift from God. It is a complete outpouring of his, his delight in us. We have been rescued from our sin completely by his grace. It's his gracious gift to us, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Now it's interesting, the word workmanship, while workmanship sounds fancier, it, it actually, it literally simply just says that, that we are made by God. And I know that doesn't sound as, as, as beautiful, that we're made by God, but I found it helpful to think of it that way because it reminded me of the greater context of these verses. Remember, we are in a context, we are in a setting, a part of Ephesians chapter 2, where we're talking about how we were dead, but then, what does Paul say in verse 5? We were made alive in Christ. When we're talking about God's gracious gift and how we are rescued, how we are saved, and we're talking about how we are made by God, Paul has been telling us and is telling us that we are made alive. God. That, that, that detail, that, that bigger context gives us much more insight to what the gift really is. What is the gift that we've been given? What do we get to open up? What have we received? We've received life. We were dead and we are now alive. This is what God's given us, life. And realizing that's what he's given us too also really impresses on how much this really is an act of his grace. I mean, go back and think about Adam. In what we read in our lesson from Genesis, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. What did Adam do to earn being, becoming a living being? What did he do to make himself alive? Nothing. The dude was dust. Like, right? He was literally dirt. And God made him into a living being. Same with us. We were dead. What can can a dead person do to make themselves alive? Not a thing. The only way you become a living being is by something, someone making you alive. It is a complete, absolute gift of God from his delight. What did you get? You got a gracious gift, an outpouring of God's delight, and that gracious gift is life. And that's what justification really is. When you're declared right with God, that gives you life. It is a gracious gift. It's a complete outpouring of God. That's what justification is. It is completely by his favor, his delight. He's taken you who were dead, who you were a non-living being, and has made you alive. You've been given the gift of life. That's justification. Justification that's the first part of what you've been given the gift of life justification and with any gift you're given it not just to go look at what I got but also so that you can take hold of it and use it see Paul he says we're God's workmanship so we're made by God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do the word created here it's an interesting word uh, it's where whereas workmanship refers to like God making us. This word has an emphasis of, of being like the initial creator or founder of something. That's why I put the copyright logo there. <laughs> that you, he, God has founded us for something, He has created us. He is the initial creator so that we men then go forward from here. He's the copyright owner, He's the one who made us. We belong to Him, it's a gift. He achieved it through the death and resurrection of Jesus, by Jesus taking our sin away on the cross, by taking the guilt, by Jesus rising in to give us new life. He created us. He founded us now for his glory. He created us to do good works, to do good things, to do great things, to live in great ways, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, The the word to do kind of gives the wrong impression. It literally says to walk around on or to walk around in. It's kind of like God laid a sidewalk down. The sidewalk, which is good works, put us on the sidewalk and said, okay, go ahead and walk. He prepared it. He laid it all down. He set it all up. He brings us there and he says, okay, now go. Go ahead and, and go live. Go do it. Again, thinking back to Adam, that picture of Adam, that 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 image of, of what God did with Adam, can be really helpful for us here as we think about God making us alive. So God, when He He, he made Adam, He gave Adam life. He gave him he, he made him a living being. He didn't just say, "Adam, look, you're alive, awesome." He didn't you know just breathe life into him and go, "You're a living being." What did He do with Adam? He took him, put him in the garden so that he could work it and take care of it. He made him alive, gave him life, so he could live. He gave him life so he could live, and then he gave him a job to do. Not that that job would make it so that he was alive. He's already alive. But whenever you give somebody a gift, the intent is that it would be put to use and enjoyed and celebrated. God put Adam in the garden, to work it, to take care of it, to live—that's what the gospel does. The gospel gives us life, so we can live. That's why, like when you get to the, the verses, like the Great Commission, where Jesus says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit," and it says, "And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you." This—this this teaching them to obey this obedience. Often, our sinful minds get it wrong. I'm like this is the part where God tells me what I can't do. What I can't—no, you've been made alive. With Christ. God has given you life. Now he wants you to live. He wants you to live. He tells you what he says in his word, gives you his design and his purpose and his plan for life because he didn't just give you life to go, ah, you're, you, you have life. And someday you're going to you know have eternal life. He makes you a living being so you can live. And that's really the second part of of celebrating the gift. You look and we go, I have been made alive in Christ. Now I want to take and live. I I want to really live. That's what sanctification is. By God's spirit and God's power, I'm not doing anything to earn my righteousness or anything with him. I'm right with God. That's justification. That's the pure grace gift of God. But just like any gift, now I want to take the gift and I want to own it. I want to enjoy it. I want to live in it. That's, that's what this is. This is what we want to do. I was dead. I was like a phone with a broken screen. I couldn't fulfill my purpose. I didn't know why I was here. I didn't know what life was meant to be. Naturally, we live like we're at the center of things and, 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 and we have to be in control. But no, nah, that's not who I am anymore. Through faith in Christ, I died to all that. And through faith in Christ, I have been made alive. And now I get to live knowing that I am created by a God who delights in me so much that he has given me life. That I am loved by God so much and he wants me to live. That he has placed me here for a purpose and according to a design. To fulfill his purpose and his plan for me to live according to His design, where I'm not at the center, where I'm not at the control, but I am—I am playing my part in His big eternal plan. I am here, and I have the opportunity to really live, knowing that I am loved, and I then therefore have the opportunity to love others. That I am living in this world, knowing that yes, while it might be broken now, while I may battle right now to live in my my my, my faith, that there will come a day where I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see my Savior and I'm going to see my God fully. And there's going to be a day where I stand and everything is going to be made new, that there's going to be a day where I feel experience the fullness of life. This is what we get to take hold of and live in. This is sanctification. We have received the gift of life, justification. We now have the opportunity to live. That's the answer to this question. What did you get?